Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right, good morning, Crossroads. Welcome to our Resurrection Sunday celebration where we love celebrating Jesus, especially on Resurrection Sunday, because this is technically where the birth of Christianity began, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, And this is how important this particular Sunday was to the early church. So think of your most Pittsburgh favorite cultural thing that you love, Uh, like maybe anyone go to opening day, Pirates opening day? Yeah, awesome. Great Pittsburgh cultural event. Uh, Think about the fact that, yes, there's one other team that has six Super Bowl rings, but we're from the city that was the first to get six Super Bowl. No one can ever take that from us. So think about that. Think about, um, anyone ever been to the Heinz Museum? Yeah, awesome place, the Heinz Museum, or the fact that you know, we can say no other ketchup on the planet is really ketchup because it's not Heinz because, you know, it's from Pittsburgh. All of those cultural things that we associate with Pittsburgh and with where we live. And think of the ones that you love the most. And now imagine if someone said, hey, because you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you don't get to hang on to those cultural traditions. We're going to take them from you. Uh, We're going to remove you from them because the early church, because of their belief in the resurrection, they lost everything. They lost their businesses. They lost family. They lost friends. They lost their homes. They lost people who previously, they spent time at their houses and getting to know them, played with their kids. But then because they put their faith in the resurrection, all of that was taken from them. And that's kind of what we have to deal with today. Not that people will do that to us, but is that truly something that we believe in? So this morning, I'm going to ask you guys to stand, uh, and we're going to start by singing this song that kind of reflects what the resurrection is and who Jesus is, because the resurrection really doesn't leave a lot of room for us to say that Jesus is this great guy from history or that he's this great teacher. It really doesn't leave room for that. The only thing it leaves room for is for us to decide, well, is he really the son of God? And is that who I'm willing to say he is to me? All right, as you are making your way, Back to your seats and getting situated. Um, I know it's Easter morning, uh, so we're going to talk about the resurrection because that's, that's what you talk about on Easter. Uh, but we're also starting a brand new series called I Have a Friend Who Says, right? Because many of us have friends who talk about things uh, that we may not agree with, may not, may not like, but we're used to it. But when we talk about the things that we believe in, Christianity, the resurrection, all that kind of stuff, uh, a lot of them don't understand where we're coming from. So we did this series a few years ago, and we talked about a lot of different things, and I'll, I'll talk more about that next week. But this morning, because it is Resurrection Sunday, uh, and because it is Easter morning, and because, you know, that's what we talk about on Easter morning, I wanted to talk about the fact... Uh, 
I have a friend who says the resurrection isn't real. And you don't have to raise your hand, but many of us have friends who say, you know, resurrection, that whole Jesus rising from the, it's, it's a big lie, it's fake, it's not true. They just hid the body, they were just after money, all of that kind of stuff. So that's what I wanted to talk about this morning. Now, most of us um, probably believe that, yeah, it happened, right? Even though none of us saw it, right? I mean, I may be old, not that old. So none of us saw it. Uh, but here's the reason. Most of us believe it because we were brought up believing it. Did I just switch that? Yeah, I did. Whoops, sorry. Technical difficulties. We were brought up believing it, right? That we lived in a household where they took us to church every Sunday, um, and, and, you know, they bought us new clothes. They put us in a new clothes. Uh, we went outside and played, got the new clothes dirty. Then we got a spanking. We changed clothes. Then we went to church. That whole thing, that, that, that's the way that it worked at least for me, growing up, right? So we were brought up believing it. So yeah, but here's the thing. Those people who weren't brought up believing it, they're not just going to believe it because we say so. If they just believed everything that we were brought up believing, everyone on the planet would have the same beliefs. But we know that's not the case, right? Uh, but some people also believe it because, you know, the pastor says it's true. I went to a church. I heard the pastor say the resurrection is real. So I believe the resurrection is real. But those people who don't have me as their pastor and don't like me as much as you guys do aren't just going to believe what I say, right? They're not just going to take my word for it. So uh, there are also some people who say, you know, we should believe it just based on faith. And there is some truth to that. There's a little bit of truth to that. It is on faith, but it's not on blind faith, right? Uh, there's actually a, a foundation of truth on which we believe about the resurrection. But because it was 2,000 years ago, we look back to it and we put our faith in that thing that happened 2,000 years ago. So, uh, it, it's, it's not just us believing, you know, like a blind thing that we have no basis for. That's not what most Christians do. There's an actual foundation of truth, because that's what all of your beliefs, everyone's beliefs should be built on a foundation of truth that we put our faith in. And we'll talk about that foundation in a minute. But here's the thing. Uh, I want to talk about what happens if the resurrection is not true. What if this thing never really happened? Because that's the question that a lot of people are asking these days, right? So um, here's what Paul says. I'm going to put all the Bible verses up on the screen. If you want to follow along, there's Bible under your seat or on the table and raise your hand and someone can bring one to you if you don't have one. But this is what Paul said. Now, he wrote this to a church in Corinth, which is a city where there were a lot of people who were struggling with bringing things from the culture into the church that weren't quite right. And so they had all these questions about the resurrection. So he writes them this letter, and in part of this letter, he addresses their concerns. He says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? This was people questioning the pastor. It happens. Pastor says something, they preach it, and then people say, well, wait, that doesn't make sense. So he's addressing their concerns, which is a logical thing uh, to do. Right? And he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith, which is why you shouldn't just base it on what the pastor says. You shouldn't just base it on blind faith because those both can be wrong. He goes on and he says this, more than that, not just preaching is useless, 
and so is our faith. He says, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. He says, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And here's the key thing for Christianity as a whole, that you are still, I keep hitting the button, sorry, that you are still in your sins. That's the key, key part. We're still separated from God. We still have this burden of sin. Uh, death hasn't been overcome. We have no, no promise of eternity with God if this is true. So this is a valid concern, right? It makes sense for people to ask, hey, is the resurrection real? Did this thing really happen? Because even Paul said, if it didn't happen, no sense preaching about it. We could have all slept in even longer this morning. We didn't need to be here. But he also says we're still in this sinful state, which means we're separated from God for eternity, if the resurrection, in fact, didn't happen. So uh, here's the question. We shouldn't judge or criticize people who ask questions about our faith. There's a whole movement right now of people asking questions. Some of it is people saying, well, I just don't want to go to church, and here's why I think it's wrong. That's one thing. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people with a lot of valid questions saying, how did this happen? What about this? Make it make sense to me, right? And instead of criticizing those people for asking questions, what we should do is answer their questions to the best of our ability. Because this is what even Peter says uh, that we should do. And this is what this whole series is based on. He says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And here's the key. Do this with gentleness and respect. Not out of hate. Not out of you're a name-calling blah, blah, blah because you don't agree with me, which I see a lot of division between, you know, Christians and all that stuff. He just says, hey, with gentleness and respect, say, hey, here's why I believe what I believe. And we do it about everything else, so we should definitely do it about when we're talking about Christ, when we're talking about the church, when we're talking about the resurrection. Now, here's the problem we have. The resurrection, from our standpoint, 2,000 years ago, a historical event. So there's already been a set, established amount of things that you do when you're trying to verify whether or not a historical event took place. There's a set criteria that the church didn't come up with, that scientists, archaeologists, whoever, came up with to verify something in history. So let me, let me ask you this. Think about, for those of you who are parents, think about an event that took place in your past before your children were born, and you trying to say, yeah, this really happened, and that doesn't include that we used to walk uphill three miles to school in the snow because that never happened, but, well, this is a big hill, so it might happen, but think about something in your past, and you're trying to convince your children this thing really happened, and I'm going to give you an example from history because although there were newspaper reports about it, there wasn't a lot of video about it, right? So the stock market crash of 1929, um, it was huge, had a huge impact, valid historical event. But when you try to tell people today, hey, this really happened, you don't have a bunch of selfies of people saying, I just lost everything. So you have to have other ways to verify it. And the same is true of the resurrection, right? Because it's a historical event. So whenever verifying a historical event, here's what people do. They look at archaeological evidence. 
Are there physical things from history that we can date back to that time that say, yeah, this event happened? Now, from the resurrection, the only thing we have is the empty tomb. Some people say, well, there's that whole shroud thing. Some people say that that's been fake, but we know the tomb was empty, but that's not enough. Here's the thing also. Don't ever try to prove something to someone because you can give them all the facts you want. The only way you can prove it to them is when they decided, yes, it's proof. You can give them a bunch of facts, and if they say, I don't want to accept them, it didn't prove anything. All you can do is give them information to help support what you believe. That's what evidence is. So there's archaeological evidence. Then there's eyewitness evidence, right? There are literally still people who have felt the impact of, not, not talking about the resurrection, but of the stock market crash of 1929 that lost everything, that can tell you, that wrote books about it, that wrote newspaper articles about it. And the same is true of the resurrection. There were eyewitness accounts of people that were there and said, hey, I saw this guy, Jesus. I know they, you know, he died on a cross, but I saw him walking around. Now, here's the reality. Uh, there were 12 appearances of Jesus after he was resurrected by groups of two, some as many as 10, and some as many as 500. 500 is a lot of people to say you're all lying, right? Now, uh, I think at the last, I don't know when the last census was, but in West Elizabeth, they said there's like 550 or something people, right? That's, that's the whole population of that town. So imagine the whole town of West Elizabeth all saying, yeah, we saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, here's the reality. Of those 12 appearances, four of them were where people physically touched him. They were like, dude, is that, is that really you? Like, seriously? Is that you? And they touched him. So it's hard to contradict uh, a lot of that evidence when people are saying, you know, here's what I saw. And even uh, Paul said, hey, if we, we, we testified to this, that we saw him, right? Uh, but here's the other thing. There are non-biblical historical sources, because a lot of people say, well, why would I believe the Bible? It's telling me something I don't want to believe in anyway. It's all fantasy. Non-biblical historical sources that confirm some of the biblical accounts. They confirm, one, that Jesus died by Roman crucifixion, that he was buried in a tomb, that the tomb was found empty by his followers. They're not saying he rose from the dead, but they confirm that his followers found the tomb empty, Right? Uh, they confirmed that the proclamation of the resurrection took place immediately after the death of Jesus, that the gospel message from the early church centered around the resurrection of Jesus, and they confirmed this. This goes into the next piece of evidence, right? uh, uh, which is consequential evidence. Are there consequences of that event that help us confirm, yeah, this event really took place? Like the stock market crash of 1929 uh, kind of led into... Uh, the whole depression of that area. So there's a lot of evidence that shows there was an impact of it. And the same is true, the consequential evidence of the resurrection, whether they believe it or not, a lot of non-biblical sources, historians from that day, verify that whole villages, towns, and cities converted to Christianity after this claim was made. And, and one, of the, one of the most amazing things is that ho- not just whole towns and cities, um, uh, 20 or 30 different whole cities and villages, including this. I don't know if you can see that because the writing is really small. But the island of Malta. In Acts chapter 28, Paul records that he got shipwrecked there. 
He did a miraculous healing for a tribe leader of the island. I don't know how many people were on the island then, but they all, it's just brought their, their friends and their family members for him to heal them, and they were there for a while, and then they left. Today, if you research the island of Malta, it has over half a million citizens, 95% of whom are Christian. That's a serious impact that they can trace back to the book of Acts. Now, we again, some people may say, oh, well, that's not true. But those people are saying, yeah, I, I, I heard this, I heard this, I heard this from generations of generations of people who lived on the island, so much so that they put their faith in Jesus. Now, here's, here's the problem. A lot of Christians believe these things, and so that's the foundation that make us take the step of faith that say, yeah, we're going to put our faith in Christ because we believe the resurrection is real. A lot of skeptics will look at this evidence, even though it's archaeological, eyewitness, and consequential evidence, and they'll say, well, I don't believe that because since the resurrection, right, Jesus being crucified on a cross, being put in a tomb, and rising from the dead, since that's a supernatural event, then they'll say, well, it requires supernatural evidence, which doesn't make sense because then you've left the line of logic because what they're saying is, hey, I don't believe the supernatural event because there's not a supernatural event as evidence of the supernatural event. It's not logical. What is logical is to look at all of these things, archaeological, eyewitness, consequential evidence, and say, hey, let me consider that it's true. Now, there is some supernatural, what we call, evidence, uh, if you're willing to believe what the Bible says. Because up to, uh, I, there are uh, like hundreds of, of uh, prophecies that were made some 2,000 years before, some 500 years before the birth of Christ that talk about his birth and his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection in alarming detail. Right? Hundreds of them that have been fulfilled, including this one we talked about a few weeks ago, where in Zechariah chapter 11, uh, this is what Zechariah says. He says, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. And this is describing, now, this can't be one person knowing this history and trying to fulfill it, because there were groups of people that fulfilled this. Because Judas went to a group of religious leaders and said, hey, I'll portray Jesus and hand him over to you but what will you pay me? And they said, we'll pay you 30 pieces of silver. He took it, and once Jesus was crucified, he felt remorseful, and he gave it back to them. Now, he didn't throw it into the potter's house. He threw it into the temple. He said, he'd like, do it back. He said, I, I want nothing to do with this. They took it and said, hey, we can't put this money in the treasury because we used it to have a man put to death. So let's go buy a potter's field. And so they bought this potter's field. At the time that Zechariah made his prophecy, that potter's field didn't exist. And this can't be the people who killed Jesus trying to make it come true because they didn't want it to be true. They're the ones who didn't believe in him. So you have all of this evidence, right? You have uh, archaeological, eyewitness, consequential, prophetic, but then you have this spiritual evidence, 
This is, this is for everyone that looks at this and says, yeah, you know what? I'm willing to, to step across the line of faith and put my faith and trust in God. Then there is this supernatural spiritual thing that happens that, again, we can testify to. Paul says that he, meaning God, has also appropriated and acknowledged us as his by putting his seal upon us and giving us his Holy Spirit in our hearts as security and deposit and guarantee of his promise. His promise is that we will be with him for eternity. So an eternal being makes this promise, and everyone who steps across the line of faith, he says, hey, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are mine and you are part of my family. So he puts his Holy Spirit in us. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. He says that in him, meaning Christ, you also who have heard the word of truth, you've heard the gospel, the glad tidings of your salvation, and you believed in it and adhered to and relied on him, you were stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. That spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's God's way of saying, hey, you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the resurrection is real, that you are mine, and now you are part of this eternal kingdom. So he takes his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and puts it in us. So that even though there may be skeptics who say, hey, I don't believe the resurrection is real, I've got this Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God living in me. And I'm like, I don't know how to explain it to you, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it did happen, that Jesus did rise from the dead. He did it because he loves us, to pay the penalty for our sins, and to show me that God put his Holy Spirit in me and in you and in anyone else who does that. So this was a long message. Let me, I, I should have started with this because here's, here's the way that Paul says it, which summarizes it a lot better. To that same crowd he wrote in uh, Corinthians, he wrote, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So sometimes the pastor is right. And he says this, he says, for what I received, I passed unto you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12. This is that eyewitness account. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep and he says, then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me as the one abnormally born. James was the brother of Jesus, and he was one of the people who didn't believe Jesus. He actually tried to have him committed because he thought he was a little bit crazy, which is what we would think if we had a family member running around saying, I'm God in the flesh. So after Jesus rose from the dead, and after he appeared to all these people, he appeared to his brother James, so much so, consequential evidence, James abandoned everything and became a leader of the Christian church. Abandoned everything he believed, and he was already a part of a religion that believed, hey, we're God's chosen. And he was like, this can't be true in the face of standing with the resurrected Jesus. And he began to preach and teach and lead others to do this. I'm going to ask you guys to stand for a minute, and we're going to partake of communion. I'm going to ask uh, Kevin and Gary, can you guys come forward?
And communion is a, a, a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. As he was eating uh, the, the Passover meal with his disciples, uh, he told them that as you partake of this bread, and he grabbed the juice out of the office. Uh, thank you. He said, as you partake of this bread, it's my body broken for you. And as you partake of this glass of wine, it's my blood shed for you. And he was advising them, and he told them, uh, every time that you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. It's not only a reminder of what he did, but it's a reminder of what he will do, that he's coming back for us. And for some of you, some of you, I, I, I get, depending on, again, your, your upbringing or where you're from or your family or whatever, uh, you may have certain concerns about doing communion. Some of you, because of uh, COVID, may have certain concerns about doing communion. But I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the band to come forward first. And as they come up, uh, we're going to partake of communion. And then they're going to come up here, uh, and we're going to start to play uh, some music as the rest of you come forward to partake of communion. But first, I want to pray. God, we thank you so much uh, that you did show beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, uh, the, the love that you have for us, that whilst we were still sinners separated from you, you sent your son to die upon a cross for us. And as we partake of communion, as your word says, it is a reminder of your blood shed for us, of your body broken for us, and of all that you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And it's okay if some of you are uncomfortable because of COVID or whatever coming forward, uh, then don't feel obligated to. Maybe this is just the time for you to... Take some time and uh, do some business with God and spend some time in prayer. God, we are grateful that you offer us the opportunity to bring all of our struggles, all of our trials, all of our sin and just lay it before you. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask now, and there's no need for anyone to raise their hand or come forward, but if there's anyone who wants to put their faith and trust in you, all they have to do is just like we said, just take that step across the line of faith and believe in the finished work of what you did on the cross and what your resurrection provided, forgiveness of our sins, and in eternity as a part of your family. And the aspect of knowing that you will be with us through every trial, every struggle, every hardship. And we thank you for that and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, 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 amen. amen.